Amen. Good morning, everyone. Good to be with you in the house of the Lord this morning. If you brought your Bible, you can begin opening. We are headed to the Old Testament and uh, to the book of Nehemiah this morning. Uh, about a week ago, I was uh, out on kind of a prayer walk around the neighborhood and was particularly praying for all of you as our church. And as I was praying, the Lord really brought to mind uh, the book of Nehemiah and in particular chapter 4 and uh, encouraged me with his word there. And so I wanted to take a week out of our series. We have been going through slowly through the Minor Prophets. And uh, this is the same general time frame that Nehemiah takes place and is written. Um, but I wanted us to spend some time in God's word this morning in the book of Nehemiah in chapter 4 and hear from him. If you don't know uh, about Nehemiah, in one sentence, basically it is the story, or at least chapter 4 is the story of God caring for his people in a difficult circumstance as he called his people to rebuild the walls of a broken down Jerusalem. And I think there's much that applies to us today uh, as New Testament believers, and I've titled this sermon, Constructor or Consumer. And so I'm going to read to us now all of Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 23. So hang with me and read along in your Bible or read on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him, and he said, yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Verse 6, so we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. So in the lowest, lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us, and that God had frustrated their plan, 
we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Thanks to God for his good word. Let's pray together one more time. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth the meditations of my heart, be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Five ways this morning from Nehemiah chapter four, five ways in which we mature as constructors in God's kingdom. Number one is this from verses one through seven, know your enemies, Know your enemies. The Bible tells us there are three enemies. The first of them is clear. It is the world. So the world's response to genuine faith within believers is always what you see here, anger and mocking. And we see that from Sanballat and from Tobiah. You may ask yourself, why is the world angry at believers or at the gospel? I would suggest to you two reasons. The world is angry at grace and truth. Grace and truth. Sanballat specifically attacks the believer's intelligence, attacks their ability, and attacks their faith. And he actually tries to pressure them individually to give up so as to cause disunity within God's people to get them to stop. Tobiah mocks Israel saying, quote, a fox could knock over your wall. Uh, we know for a fact historically that Israel, uh, Jerusalem's walls were nine feet thick. Just because the world says something doesn't make it true. Christian, as we just said a minute ago, I believe, we believe that God really created the world. I believe, we believe that God really has done and does miracles I believe and we believe in a historical moment that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, went to a cross and we believe in a very real moment in which the Son of God rose from the dead. We believe, despite what the world may say. Now, if you want to get laughed out of the room in our, in our current um, climate, cultural climate, just say this, my sexual ethics are defined by what the Word of God says. Think about Jesus. Luke chapter 8 and verse 35. 
Jairus comes to him. Jairus' daughter has just died. Jesus enters the room and he says to Jairus in front of the crowds, I will bring her back to life. And what did the crowd do? They laughed at him. They mocked him. They jeered at him. And then what happened next? Jesus raised her from the dead. Be prepared, brothers and sisters, for mocking, knowing this, that your identity is in who God says you are, not in who the world may claim that you are. Amen? Second enemy, the devil. Do you know that Satan hates everything that is good? John 10.10 says that Satan has come only to do three things, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So when Satan tempts you to sin, know that behind that thin veneer of fun, there is only destruction. Pastor Brian McDonald, a couple weeks ago, introduced us to a, a hilarious phrase, quote, too blessed to stress. Do you remember this? Were you here for this? The idea that if you're a Christian, as soon as you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your life is going to be absolutely easy. And he was saying, and I am saying to you now, that that is not what the Bible teaches. There is no too blessed to stress. Rather, we should assume when we experience pushback in this life by the world or by Satan, do not assume that means that God is not in it. Rather, assume if someone is pushing back in your acts of kindness, generosity, sharing the good news of the gospel of grace, expect pushback and understand that that means that God is in what you are doing. Matthew 16, Jesus says that builders of the kingdom will be those who are actually tearing down what? The very gates of hell, sharing the good news of the gospel. See, building the kingdom of God on the rock-solid foundation of Jesus Christ is worth suffering for. The world, Satan, and the flesh. Of all of our enemies, more so than what Satan can do to you, more so than the world may say or do, our worst enemy is our sin. Sin. The problems of the world are not complex. They all come back to sin. And sin is not just out there. It's not just a cultural problem, right? Sin is in here. It's in my heart. I hate to break it to you. It's in our church. Sin is the chief enemy that we face. And to be clear, maybe sin is a little bit of a Christian or a Bible word. Sin is disobeying God's law, God's word. Sin is doing bad things. Consider this one as well this morning. Sin is making your life about your comfort rather than God's kingdom. And there will be justice one day, the Bible tells us, Old Testament and New, there will be justice for sin. There will be punishment for sin by a holy God who is right and righteous to judge us. He will not, he says, leave the guilty unpunished. And that is a sobering and serious reality for all of us this morning. But Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages or payment of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our only hope against all these enemies is salvation through Jesus Christ. Number two, what ought we to do? Number two, begin by praying. 
We understand who the enemies are. How do I respond? Now, what does Nehemiah and the Old Testament people of God teach us? Number two is, I would say to you, begin by praying. And we will see this in verse eight and nine, and then again in verses four and five. The Bible says this, and they all, the, the enemy, plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. I love that. The enemy plotted, we prayed. That is our response. And you notice their prayer is short. It is to the point. But in the middle of an emergency, Nehemiah stops and leads the people to stop and to pray. Very practical reality for us. If you are too busy to pray, then you are too busy There is nothing more powerful that God's people can do than pray and ask God to step in. You notice this this week even, uh, when Damar Hamlin collapsed on Monday Night Football, what did the entire country who couldn't be there, who could have no effect, what did we all suddenly do? We pray. We call upon God in prayer. Notice too, Israel didn't seek their own justice in an unjust situation, but they did ask God to bring justice. The prayer that we see earlier in verses four and five is what is called in scripture an imprecatory prayer. Maybe that's a new word for you. Take that one home, imprecatory prayer. And what they are doing is they're asking God to judge and to punish their enemies. You may read that and you may say, well, that makes me uncomfortable. Let me offer you a few things here. It is, first of all, not a prayer of personal vengeance. Not God empower me as I go kick some butt because what they did really ticks me off. No, no. Nehemiah asks God to act. And in fact, he says that when God's people are insulted, that God himself is insulted and he's right. Now, should we pray for our enemies' salvation? Yes. (laughs) Yes, absolutely, we should. How do we know that? Well, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 44, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And we have imprecatory prayers in the New Testament. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 10, the martyrs, those who have been killed for being Christians, pray this prayer in Revelation 6.10, Lord, how long till you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Give you a radical thought. Praying for God's mercy and praying for God's justice are not at odds with one another. We ask for both. Why? Because in all of it, we are handing it entirely to God. We're not acting in vengeance in any way, nor should we. We are praying for God's mercy. We are praying for God's justice. The people, by the way, also you notice, their unity is around prayer. In fact, twice, Nehemiah goes out of his way to say, I want everybody praying. I want the nobles, I want the officials, and all the rest. I want everybody praying. Take that to the church, elders, deacons, Everybody in the church, the young and the old, I want everybody together and everybody praying. Everyone matters. Everybody prays. So we pray. And then number three, 
we take up the constructor's trowel. Number three, we take up the constructor's trowel. And we see this in verses six all the way to the end of the passage in verse 23. Maybe the word trowel is not a word that you use often. In 1865, Charles Spurgeon wrote a book about just Nehemiah chapter 4, and he called that book The Sword and the Trowel. The Sword and the Trowel. The subtitle of Spurgeon's book was this, A Record of Combat with Sin and of Labor for the Lord. Derek Thomas in his commentary writes this, The Israelites' trust in God to deliver them does not result in their inaction. The sovereignty of God is not to be an excuse for negligence and dereliction of duty, whether the issue is prayer, evangelism, or the need to engage in defensive or aggressive warfare. See, true faith in God is active faith in God. Notice that they do not sit around and have a pity party while they wait for God to answer. They are trusting God, but what God has made clear to them to do, they still obey. And so Nehemiah 4, 6, the first half, simple, to the point. It says what? So we built the wall. They knew their enemy. They prayed, and God had made his instructions clear. And so despite the adversaries, they built the wall. And how particularly did they do it? We go to verse 16 again. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. Now, you notice the second half of this chapter, it feels a little redundant, and that is because Nehemiah five different times gives us essentially the same information, which is you've got to have both the construction and the defense, the trowel and the sword. Verse 15, it tells us, though, that the enemy's sneak attack, the Bible doesn't give us any more info about it, other than the most important fact, which is a sovereign God thwarted their attack. They prepared, but God, as always, saved the day. But then from that point forward, half construction, half spears, from that moment forward, it says that everyone then had a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. God calls each of us, each and every one of us, into construction, into his church and his kingdom and his world. Do you have a mind to work? Like verse 6 says. And if you say, yes, I desire to serve, I'm just not sure where that, what that looks like, I have good news for you. Jesus has not been unclear as to what his co-mission or construction project is here on earth, has he? If we go to the great co-mission, Matthew 28, the Bible says this, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always. We build, but the foundation, the power, the glory is Christ, and it is for the whole world. This is New City Church's mission, and and mission statement is the Great Commission, to glorify God by being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And we execute that mission through four distinct strategies. 
worship, grow, serve, and reach. We worship corporately together right now on Sunday mornings, and we worship in our homes throughout the week. We grow not just on our own, but we grow together and we experience discipleship together as the body of Christ, sharpening one another. We serve one another within the church, the family and the body of Christ, and we serve the way that Christ serves us, and we don't keep it to ourselves. We reach out and we share the good news of the gospel through evangelism in both our words and our deeds so that the world may know, so that our city may know. Taking up the constructor's trowel means putting down the consumer mindset. Taking up the constructor's trowel of Jesus means putting down our consumer mindset. We are not customers in the church. We are builders, producers in and through Christ. Uh, We are not even simply volunteers. In fact, Ephesians says that we are the saints that are equipped for the ministry. In Christ, you and I, we are beloved children of God. We are the cherished bride of Christ. We are each one of the many parts of the body of Christ, the church, each called to be the hands and the feet of Jesus to serve. Using our spiritual gifts, our words, our deeds to build up the body of Christ and to see our city made new. Now let me pause here and and listen very carefully. I have two questions that I want you as a congregation, each of us individually, I want you to think about these two questions this week and now. The first question is this. Where do you believe that New City Church needs to grow and mature in 2023? Where do you think that New City Church needs to grow or mature this year? Okay? Pray about that question. Think about that question this week. Second question. What is your role in that growth? What do you believe that God would have be your specific role or roles as a part of the church, the bride of Christ here locally at New City Church, growing and maturing? You see both questions? What does the church need to do as a whole? What is my part as a part of the body of Christ. I'm asking you to think about that, pray about that, and dare I say, email me back this week. I'm going to Cuba, so I'll be off the grid for four days. But in all seriousness, ben at newcitypalmbay.org. I would love to get 200 emails that say, I have thought about this question. This is where I believe, according to the mission that Jesus has given us, uh, according to the the vision values, um, the strategies that that this congregation has committed to, I think this is where our church needs to grow and this is where I see my role, my family's role in that. Uh, I'm gonna ask you to do this too. At the back uh, welcome table, I've got an extra sheet back there. It's called our city group discussion guide. Um, Our city groups are getting back to meeting here after the holidays this week. And the leaders get a sheet that gives them some, some of their Bible study material that flows out of our sermon each week. 
Uh, I've given you the leader's guide back there at the back table. And what it does is it asks five questions that are basically what I've just put before you. In light of Nehemiah 4, what does this look like in my life, in my family's life? Grab that as a, as a devotional guide this week, or even better, if you're not a part of City Group, jump in this week and be a part of one and engage those same questions. Let me add this. If you are new here at New City over the last few weeks or whatever it may be, I encourage you to immediately jump into one of our city groups where growth, spiritual growth and discipleship takes place on a more personal basis. I also encourage you to do this. Don't serve yet. Uh, We say basically across the board, we want you to come as you're a new person in our church. We want you to come and be served for two months before you take up the towel and begin to serve others. Let us serve you, and then you jump into service as you discern that this is the unique family that you are called to be a part of. Um, We also do a new guest lunch periodically that's a chance for new folks to just learn more about who our church is and what we're about. Uh, The next one is scheduled in March, so I will say to you, if you want to have that conversation now, reach out to me. I'd love to grab a meal with you or your family and talk more about that. If you're a regular attender, I want to encourage you in all four of these areas afresh, worship, grow, serve, and reach. Let me specifically encourage you, a next step might be this. If you have been a part of our church for a long season, um, our next new members class is Saturday, February 4th, uh, 9 to 1230 lunch. Um, I would encourage you to officially take that next step, declare your faith in Jesus publicly, and declare your commitment publicly to this is my home church. This is where God has uniquely called me to worship, grow, serve, and reach. Uh, Across the whole church, let me just say this too. Thank you. Thank you to every single one of you who serves in uh, very upfront public ways and who serves behind the scenes in a multitude of different ways. Thank you to all of you who serve in some aspect of worship, grow, serve, and reach. Many of you serve in all four. Thank you. We need you. We love you. I love you. And I'm grateful that you're here as a part of the vision that we have at our church, which is to see our city made new by the gospel. Number four, take up the defender's sword. Taking up the trowel, Jesus calls us to take up the sword. What does that mean? You want me to take up a sword, pastor? Pretty sure I can get arrested if I do that. New Testament people of God, the sword is this. The sword is the word of God contained within the 66 books of the Old and New Testament wielded by the living and active Holy Spirit in your life. That is our sword. You know that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter picked up a literal sword because he thought that would be the way And Jesus said, Peter, put down your sword. And Peter put his sword down, never to pick it up ever again. And he picked up in the days and weeks and months that followed for the rest of his life, he picked up the word of God and he preached Holy Spirit-empowered word of God and saw lives changed eternally. And we are invited to do the same thing. We make war on the sin in our lives. 
We are sanctified. We're grown personally and as a church, we see our city made new by the gospel when we take up the sword of the word of God. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Believer, the ultimate message of the scripture, both Old and New Testament, the singular unified ultimate message is this. Jesus is Lord, and he has made a way for you to be saved. That is the gospel message. And so as New Testament believers, we take up the sword of the Spirit, Now, Ephesians gives us more information about, it picks up this same image or metaphor of the spiritual armor. Maybe you are familiar with it. Listen to it with fresh ears this morning. Ephesians 6, 11 to 19. Paul says this to the church, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Fifth and finally, know your enemy. Begin with prayer. Take up the constructor's trowel and the defender's sword, but above all, Put your faith in the Savior. Above all, put your faith in the Savior. Verse 20, Nehemiah reminds the people, our God will fight for us. Verse 14, do not be afraid of them. Remember how great you are on your own. No, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your home. Do not fear. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Our God will fight for us. And he was not wrong. God fought and won the battle. Psalm 20 verse 7. I love this verse. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. Period. Do you know that Nehemiah started construction a few days after he returned home to his hometown of Jerusalem, straight from the exile, and that within seven weeks, the wall was finished. 
God did what he promised. God always keeps his promises. See, New Testament people, our God has fought for us, and in Christ, our God has won. Past tense, completed action that impacts every day of life now and for all eternity. He has won. He will win. He has always won. He always will win. And you can't do it alone. Verse 10, there's too much rubble. How true is this? By ourselves, we will not be able to do it. What does a maturing Christian, what does a a maturing church look like? The humility to admit, I can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. Show me a godly man. Show me a godly woman. Show me a godly father, a godly mother. Show me a godly teenager. And their song will be this, not I but through Christ in me, which is just Galatians 2.20. The Bible, in case you are not clear, the Bible is not a self-help course. It's not a DIY. It's not a be a better you in 2023. It's not self-righteousness. It's not macho Christianity. It's certainly not celebrity Christianity. It's not I have it all together and let me pretend like you actually believe that Christianity. It's I can't do it alone. I need Christ. And so all of this, the foundation is I'm putting my faith in my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ. So the story here of God's faithfulness to Nehemiah is the story of God's faithfulness to us in the person of Jesus. Verse 4, very beginning of Nehemiah chapter 4, it says God's people were despised. God's son was despised, wasn't he? He was rejected, says Isaiah 53 in 1 Peter 2. Verse 8 of Nehemiah says that the enemies all plotted together. There were Pharisees, Sadducees, Roman elites, scoundrels, priests who all plotted together and executed the greatest evil and the greatest injustice of all time, the sinless son of God being crucified for sins that he did not commit. And in that moment, Jesus was not defeated and you and I were not defeated. Rather, God brought victory through Jesus Christ's death because in that moment, my sins were placed on him. And three days later, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, establishing his victory for all time and offers to us this, the greatest trade or exchange of all time. And that is anyone who will come to Christ in faith and say, Lord Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I want you to be Lord in my life. He will make the following trade. All of my sin all of my guilt, all of my shame paid for on the cross of Jesus Christ by Jesus, free. And not only that, and not today only, I will gift back to you my perfect righteousness, says Jesus. I will give you my perfect record. It's free. There's absolutely nothing that you can do. We ruined it all. Jesus did it all. And we get 
it all. 2 Corinthians 5, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. By being a better person? No. Do-it-yourself Christianity? No. The free gift of salvation and faith in Jesus Christ. Admit your sin. Call out to Jesus as Savior. His mercy, his grace, his power are a free gift to you. And then join in his glorious commission here on earth as a constructor, as a builder of his kingdom and his glory forever and ever. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we are in awe of your grace, your mercy, your power, your justice, and your holiness this morning. Father, thank you that you have done for us what we could not and we would not do ourselves. But Father, as your children this morning, purchased by your blood, forgiven by your grace, made new and given new life by the power of your Holy Spirit, Father, would you empower us as your people to set aside the world standard of thinking of ourselves as customers or consumers and to move us to a place of construction, to a place of building, to a place of being a part of your plan, your purposes. Lord, it's your blueprint. We look entirely to your scripture. We submit ourselves to you and to your word and to your Holy Spirit. Lead us, guide us. We want your glory. Father, would you use us in this church that you have chosen to place in this city at this time, in each heart and mind that is here this morning, Father, that you would use us and be glorified in us. We lay our lives open before you. Father, I pray for all those who have not experienced that life-changing reality yet, whether they be in the room here this morning or it's someone that we'll get to have a conversation with later this week. Father, that that they this morning would know, that this week they would know and believe that sin is real, but the death and resurrection of Jesus is real. That there is hope for eternal life, and it's a radical change, Lord. You remove our sin, you give us new life and hope, and you invite us, even in this broken world where we will continue to struggle, you invite us to be a part of your purpose, and you give real purpose real life, real hope that will end one day in eternity in a very real place called heaven. And Lord, we look forward to it. And Lord, we gather to worship you, to celebrate you, to remember what Jesus has done and what he through your Holy Spirit does in us every day. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.